0: To two spies with uh, David and Mark, and we're continuing our study in the book of Genesis. And today we're talking about Genesis chapter five. We're kind of um, dealing with chapters. Um, We decided to kind of look at focus on chapters, so we'll just be dealing with uh, chapters five verses one through thirty-two. Some of this might sound boring, or when you read this chapter, it might be like a eye roller, like oh goodness.
1: Some of this will definitely be boring. (laughs)
0: but we we believe that there will be some interesting things um, overall Uh, before we kind of dive into the chapter and dealing with the verses um, you know, sometimes I think we read genealogies and never uh, think about the time. That's actually here. We read a verse and we think, okay, it's just, you know, the next day or the next minute he's writing it down. I mean, there's a big time span and there's a lot going on in between these verses that um, I don't think we'll really dive into, but there's a lot of things you can study the, um, dealing with the people that's going in between all this. Yeah. Um, you know, so this is hundreds of years in this one chapter. Um, I think it's interesting that as we talked about last week with Cain's genealogy, um, it does, his genealogy doesn't mention Adam while Seth's does, which seems to imply that, um, the blessing is on Seth's lineage and not on Cain's. Uh it breaks up it breaks up the lineage of Cain and the disobedient or the wanderer ones, so to speak, and refocuses back on the appointed lineage of Seth or from Seth, replacing Abel. I think this whole chapter kind of reminds us of the curse that Sim brought, meaning death. Uh, you know, it talks about how these people have died this person begat this person, he fathered this person, and then he died. So I think it, it reminds us that death is very real and that death has been brought um, yeah. to the curse, even to the, the good guys, so to speak. I mean, you know, we see Cain you know, and the good guys, the, the good guys. righteous line yeah. of Seth. So, uh, you know, if you, you know, there's a line, you know, it's kind of consistent, except when it gets to Enoch, which we'll discuss in a minute. Um, but there was one question I, I guess I kind of want to start with is, um, you know, part of the blessing that God gave was to multiply and and fill the earth. Yeah. And, you know, pre-sin and so multiplying wasn't. Um, so multiplying is not only a blessing, but uh, apparently it's some sort of command that God gave. Uh, since verses 1 through 3 shows us that they continue in this blessing by having Seth um some thoughts come to mind that i mentioned to you earlier and these thoughts were 1 god's blessing is not affected based on action we have or haven't done 2 god's blessing can return when we're in his care for example when adam and eve sinned god covered their nakedness and number 3 we have god's permission um like you know if you think of the godfather movie where um you have my permission. You have my blessing to marry my daughter. I'm going to make you offer You can't refuse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the only line I remember from that movie. I myself. just I just remember. I just picture, you have my blessing to marry my daughter. <laughs> so so God's like saying, you have my blessing to continue filling the earth. So do you have any thoughts on the multiplying and the blessing continuing? No, no there I think is that, any?
1: that's really good and covers it. Okay. Uh, I think, uh, I'll, well, I guess I'll add. Even if, because uh, this is, of course, post Garden of Eden. Yeah. So even though Adam and Eve messed up, they sinned, they've been kicked out. Yes, to your idea that the blessing is going on, but um it's almost like uh God was intending to do that anyway. And in spite of us, he is doing what he is doing, hmm. which I guess you, you can take that on multiple levels with everything up to the cross, post cross and up to now and through now that. No matter what we do, because if you look at it as a whole, the Bible is already written. So the end of time comes by the end of the last page. So everything's already worked out and written out. No matter what we do, God's going to go ahead with his plan anyway. And you can see right here with that. (laughs) Yeah. Multiply, become a lot, And by the end, yeah, I'm opening the seals because that's what I'm planning to do anyway. Right. No matter what y'all act like.
0: Yeah. Good luck trying to alter my plan because it's not going to (laughs) work. Yeah. I'm going to redeem and I'm going to go through this whole process. Well, I guess we can kind of dive into chapter or the verse one, you know, it says, this is the book of generations of Adam. Uh, to me, you know, I think it could be translated. This is the account of the generations or this is a document. I'm not, not necessarily, this is a solo book. It's a, just an account of the generations of Adam. Um, so it kind of, it seems like this breaks up the whole genealogy and creation and now focuses on the creation of the world or the creation of mankind, the, the pollu- uh, pollution, yeah, the, the population, too. <laughs> <laughs> the, the population of mankind, you know, filling the earth.
1: Uh, uh, the word here, sephir, is also the same where we get secretary and scribe from in Hebrew. Okay. It's used later on in the Bible. So, oh. yeah, they are basically accountants. They're keeping track of things, just like you're saying. Right. The word for generations right here is the same word that was uh, used for the heavens. Was that back in chapter 2? Yes. 2, 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Where is it? Oh, I'm sorry. 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Same word there for that. So just a, a story, a telling, a genealogy, an account of these things that are going on. Let's see. I did see in one of the commentaries, though, something about, uh, I forget the wording, but it was impressing that God had made an Adam in his image and he was continuing to make man in his image. I would say no on that.
0: Yeah I, <laughs> yeah, I mean.
1: If you just look at the words on the page, it's pretty plain that that's not what's going on there.
0: Right, I would agree with you.
1: Just, let's see. What verse is that in 3? Let's just let's read uh, 1 through three. One through 5 is, oh, okay. is completing Adam's uh, telling.
0: Okay. This
1: is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So just plainly stated this.
0: Yeah, like I, verse 1 and verse 2, I believe, is dealing with pre-sin where God creates man in his image, his likeness, and formed woman out of man and then blessed them and said, fill the earth. Um, and then verse three, I think there's sin. I mean, obviously sin took place and, you know, it says he fathered his son, like he said, in his own likeness, after his, after his image named Seth. Um, you know, I think Adam's, uh, trying to do right this time, Yeah, but it's still, there's still that corruption. There's still that sinful nature. So it's not going to be, A whole, as far as God's likeness, like Adam was created. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be some distortion, some effects going on with Seth.
1: Right. So. And if you look at, I mean, this is, uh, I wasn't prepared to talk about this, but I have heard some uh, interesting concepts about uh, DNA and corruption and how data is corrupted and you copy it and copy it and copy it. When you reproduce it or replicate it again and again and again and again,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you you add imperfections because you you accentuate the imperfections, basically. Something you make a copy of an old tape, if you might remember what tapes are <laughs> <laughs> before CDs and DVDs, et cetera. Yeah. but if you take an old tape and you copy it and then you make another copy, not of the original but of the copy, make another copy of that copy, you introduce more and more white noise and static and nasty junk into it that's not the original's uh, actual presentation. Right. So, just copying information again and again, not from the source, but copying the copy, copying the copy. So, Adam is originally the perfect man, uh, physically at least. His makeup, his DNA, the way he is physically made, he's perfect, he's not sick. And when he makes Seth in his own image, and Seth makes Enosh, and Enosh makes Kenan, and then so on and so on, and here we sit, are we sick or not? Yeah. Is there anybody who doesn't have something wrong with them? <laughs> you know, yeah. Maybe at a certain age, yeah. you're, you're not, yeah. but right. you reach a certain age, everybody has uh, issues that happen, and we have tons and tons of, I mean, we have doctors who go to school for eight years. They're not even specialists. There's a, general. A, there's a general practitioner. They go to school eight years to try and learn the stacks and stacks of books that we have of diseases that we've discovered and named.
0: They're practicing.
1: Yeah, they're exactly <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so we never have it all together. I do think it's interesting uh, that on verse 3, when it talks about Adam, um, father to son, in his own likeness after his own image, and named him Seth it doesn't mention Cain and it does. And when it talks about Cain, it doesn't talk about Cain being after Adam's image. So I think that's kind of, I don't know. It might not be anything, but I think it's interesting. that. Well,
1: I guess we need to go back there and and grab because we have a chapter division, which is not inspired. So we need to go back and grab that and say, uh, chapter four, last verses there. Um, she bore a son and called his name. So Eve actually called his name Seth, because God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So he is. I mean, it's being mentioned; that it's not being completely forgotten. But uh, he's he's kind of a, in, in at least in Eve's mind, in Eve's heart, he's a replacement. Because maybe I shouldn't use the word replacement, <laughs> but. He's, he is replacing the place in her heart that she was wanting a child, and now he's gone. Right. Both of them. Yeah. What does she want to get at?
0: Um, really, I don't have a whole lot to talk about except uh, until we get to verse 24. Okay, then I'll... <laughs> or, well, 22. So we'll start starting at 22 and... I was on. looking
1: at, I uh, still want to stay in around three to five area for a minute. Mm-hmm. Adam had Seth at 130 years old. How old was he and Eve when they had Cain and Abel? And I'm guessing myself around 85 to 100. <clears throat> if nothing else, I would say, uh, because Cain and Abel doing what they did, they were both out on their own, doing their own thing. So I'm just I'm just leave placing that they are about thirty years old each. Don't know how, you know, how many years between them. Right. But uh if they were each around thirty years old ish, that would and We need to go back to because there's some commentaries I've seen that kind of muddle up the time frame. We're gonna talk about time frame tonight too, because so many commentaries want to throw majority of this chapter out the door.
0: If we if were talking about that, and should we go ahead and kind of talk about it a little bit? I mean, Let's go
1: ahead and do it before um, we get too far into it, and then have to go back and okay talk about it anyway.
0: Like I was telling David, you know, I've mentioned it before how I how I kind of study, and me and David have our different ways. Um, I kind of go through verse by verse, and and um, then I'll take paragraphs and and thought section of thoughts, and once I get a whole chapter of all my thoughts, and I'll kind of go look at commentaries. Um not not strictly to my belief or denomination, but just general and I'm um, just see what other guys have said and and I thought it was interesting that there were so many uh disagreements, but so many like you mentioned this chapter doesn't it either has too much meaning or it has no meaning at all there's no <laughs> yeah. really balance, like for example, you know one guy was talking about you know there's the Bible lists how long these guys have lived. And then there's arguments of, well, it doesn't really mean a literal 65 years or 962 years. It's just a number. It's just a general number. No big deal. And then there's other guys who say, no, it's a literal 65 years. Um, And then there's all these thoughts of, you know, there's gaps in between these generations and these, um, father's getting these specific people and it's not listing in a chronological way. So there could be thousands of years in between these generations. It's not listing them exactly. i how want they to are.
1: interject the idea while it's in my mind, while you're right there. Sure. I have, if I say that these are literal from one son to the next, from one son to the next, and this is the actual number that when Mahalalel lived 65 years, he had, Jared. And when Jared lived 162 years, he had Enoch. Mm-hmm. Enoch lived 65. He had Methuselah. If I say I literally believe that I have more proof than someone who says, Oh no, there's gaps everywhere. Where did you get that? You made that up. You don't have a clue where that comes from. You just simply don't believe what it says on the page. You have more faith than I do. As pastor always, our pastor would always say, uh, as far as uh, evolution and that kind of stuff, you have more faith than he does. He believes in a God who made everything. You believe everything just pops out of nothing. Right. You have more faith than he does. You have more faith than I do to believe that there are gaps everywhere. This, and, and you can't take any of this literally. These numbers are all made up and just random. You have more faith than I do if I say that I believe they actually are literal and true because right. they are on the page. And right. what you're saying you're believed is not on the page. There's no indication of that if you simply read what the words say, right? So I didn't want to interrupt too much, but no, 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 I didn't you're want to get that idea too. I mean, I just the proof that's there is there.
0: Yeah, well, uh, that's what we you know we've talked about as far as interpreting the Bible and um, how do you you know come to this conclusion as far as interpreting what's literal, what's figurative, and well, the Bible's kind of, I mean if you use common sense, if it's, if it's straightforward, I mean, it's just literal. I mean, yeah, I don't see how you can take it otherwise. And so I think when people kind of toss this chapter out, um, other than Enoch walk with God, um, that's the, that's the only verse that people tend to focus on. So, you know, other than that, people just kind of avoid this chapter. And
1: it's kind of funny that most people will throw out, uh, the numbers. And they'll throw out chrono- uh, throw chronology out the door. Yeah, they'll throw out the meanings of the names. They'll throw out the name sentence, but they will dig into Enoch and gladly accept that he just raptured away. And they're talking about like, a, ooh, it's a crazy odd spiritual thing that right. God just came and zapped this guy out of the world. Yeah, we yeah we love that. Well, all this other stuff that looks a little easier for your intellectual mind to to just simply take. No, we can't take any of that stuff, throw it out the door.
0: Well, I think it's, it's picking and choosing when you're like, well, these numbers aren't literal. These numbers are just kind of there or there's gaps in between. Yet When we, when we speak of the prophecies Jesus fulfilled and the numbers and the accuracy and all that, we take that as literal. We take that as that's important. But here it's like, nah, I mean, there's a book of numbers, you know, (laughs) um, and I I remember, you know, reading through numbers and it's a bunch of begats that, you know, we'll get into, but they're obviously here. But I remember thinking, man, this is like a waste of time. And I remember someone just said, do you think it was a waste of time for God to specifically put that person's name in his remembrance? Yeah. And I was like never thought of that. I mean, these people are to be remembered. God inspired this, these names and these dates and these years for a reason. Yeah. And I think it, it points towards him.
1: I was looking at this this past week, making my notes too, and if all the numbers were rounded to 100, I would say, yeah, I really couldn't argue. It looks like to me they are just rounded numbers. Adam generally lived 900 something years. But it, it says 930. Well, you could say, yeah, they rounded it to 10s. But Seth lived uh, 912 years. That's kind of too specific. It's not rounded. You wouldn't round to 912 if it was just a general number.
0: Right. Why would you round one, and not the rest?
1: So uh, then you got, uh, if you kept going, you said uh, Enosh lived 905. Kenan lived 910. Mahalalel lived 895. Oh, well, they they rounded all of them to fives then, the nearest five, excluding that 912 mark of Seth. And then you got Jared, who lived 962. Why? It just doesn't make any sense. Methuselah lived 187 years when he had Lemek. It's not rounded.
0: That's really specific. That's a weird number.
1: Yeah, it's a weird number if it's not not actually true and specific and Moses just writing down some general stuff. You know, I think Moses is sitting there with Aaron. He says, Methuselah lived. How long do you think Methuselah lived before he had lemming? Aaron says, I don't know. 187. Just write it down.
0: (laughs) 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 Okay. Well, do you think it's, I think it's interesting that with Seth's line, they're very specific in years, but with Cain's they're, there's no numbers. It
1: doesn't mean hella beans, yeah.
0: I think it's more God's importance on Seth's line. Yeah. I mean that that just what well, kind of take it well,
1: well, we can look at this easily and say, uh, if you're if you're a Bible believing Christian, you'll look at the Jews and you'll say, They are the time clock of the whole world. Yeah. All history is about them. And you go into Daniel's uh seventy weeks and what are we waiting on? We're waiting on the last week. Who does it hinge on? The Jews. The Jews are the time clock of the whole world. They're God's time clock imprinted on the earth. So he has picked a line and he's got all of time and clicking by. By this one nation of people. Well, right here, he's doing the same thing. It's not a, it's not a different program. It's the same thing. Let's see. Chapter five and what's the other one? Chapter 11. Yep, chapter 11 we got the same thing again picks us up at the the end of this chapter five and goes on through to the next main guy uh so that kind of covers i guess uh the numbers and what we think of those we'll look at them a little more specifically as we read through in a moment another concept that mark and i've been talking about because uh what you hear us getting at is that you got a group of people who says these are commentators these are Uh, if you want, maybe some of them are archeologists, maybe some of them are professors, whoever they are, they're saying, oh, you can't take these numbers. Okay. Then I don't know why they're there. They're too specific to be rounded. They're arbitrary, but they're there for some reason. They are there. You can't just say they're not there, but these people will say, oh, they mean nothing. Then you go through and you look and the, the names all have meanings and, uh, one guy that I listened to for a lot of years, well, honestly, there was about 20 main preachers on this particular radio station I listened to my first uh, 10 to 11 years as a Christian. And all day long, they would broadcast about a 20 to 30-minute sermon from this one guy, say 9 to 9.30. Every single morning was, I think, Adrian Rogers or something. And 9.30 to 10 would be another guy, 10 to 10.30, another guy. And tomorrow, the next one, would be the same exact time slots. So this would be every single day of the week, uh, for five days a week, and the program I think would change. Or the order would change on Saturdays and Sundays, but you'd have his slot and a worship song, common modern worship song, and then another the next guy's slot. So I listen to these same twenty-ish preachers, because if you got a half an hour a piece, a regular eight-hour day, that's sixteen. So I'm listening to the same 16 guys preach for 10 to 11 years. And Chuck Missler was one of them. And Chuck Missler is one that most I've heard him attacked more than anybody. Yeah. He actually taught me how to dig in the Bible myself. And how to be open and free to what it might say instead of imposing what you already think on it.
0: Right. Which is important.
1: That's, that's, that's huge. Yeah. And, uh, he taught me that uh, a lot of things he would say. He would introduce the idea and say, "This is speculative, but the rabbis say blah blah blah," or "Such and such a Mishnah says," or "So and so commentary says." From and it'll be, he takes commentaries from all over the place. He has a a huge background, uh, a high level education, and in, in true science, he's worked in the business world, in the secular business world, a lot of years. And he's a doctor in in theology also, so he's got a lot of different ways of of looking at things.
0: Yeah.
1: So he's the one. Uh, That's why I introduced this 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 in, this in this moment of the podcast. He's the guy who first said uh, on a podcast I was listening to that if you look down to the base base root of all these names, then you got a name sentence. Yeah. So Mark was saying today he was looking at a guy's commentary who says. Hawkwash, complete, complete stupid trash. <laughs> Don't even need to to worry about that. It's not real. It's not true.
0: Yeah, it's it. Yeah, like <clears throat> I I was I asked a question on a, a Bible forum, and someone said, "Hey, have you ever read this specific book?" And I said, "No, I know the author, but I've never read that specific book." And they said, "Man, you should read this. It's great." Because I was asking about a word in Greek. And so they told me to read this book. So I downloaded it. It was like three bucks to purchase. So I purchased it. And like I said, I know the author. I've listened to him speak. I've read his Bible commentaries. I think he's got some balance there. Um, A lot of stuff. And when I read the first couple of pages, I just closed the book because I disagree with it so much. And I was kind of, you know wrestling with uh his thoughts, I'm like, it just doesn't sound right. I don't feel right about it and you know I've spoken to um rabbi messianic rabbis, and you know me and David have talked about um they have various ways to study the Bible to interpret the Bible um you know yeah, the, one the, the way Pardis was... system right one way was through hidden meaning, one way was um you read the same passage or the same block of passage. At different angles, he said, "If you're reading laying down, okay. Pause and read, and read it standing up. Reading, read it laying on your side." They talked about it's strange how the different angles of view, certain words and certain <laughs> phrases just pop out. And I was like, "That's strange."
1: I've heard that, but I never have thought to try that when I'm at home reading.
0: Yeah, and you don't think about those things. But I mean, these are Messianic Jews who have studied the word and. um you know, value God's word, and but they value. don't know what they're
1: talking about anyway, right?
0: No, they apparently not. <laughs> so when I when I, when I read this book, um, I sent I sent a screenshot to David and said, "What do you think about this?" And because he dealt with you know the root word fallacy, and um, you can get too much into the root words and too much into the meaning of the words, and and uh, it's, don't don't worry so much about that because it, I don't remember the wording, but. Basically, he was just saying take lightly, um, don't worry about getting into the deep meanings. Take and all the Bible that. lightly, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I, so I just had problems with that, and then I came ac- studying this chapter, I came across this other commentary, and they don't tell you they're attacking Chuck Chuck Messler yet. They 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 say, well, here's what, and we'll get into it. Here's what chapter five, the sentence means, and but now we're going to attack it. And obvi- obviously, they're attacking Chuck Messler, who mentions it. And um, I didn't know Chuck Messler said this. I, I've heard about it through Messianic rabbis.
1: And that's who Chuck, quotes says he got it from also.
0: I mean, I went to a Messianic synagogue in Florida, and I was handed a pamphlet, and it was on the front of the pamphlet. That's what we're about to talk about. And I said, really? Yeah. And I was, like, blown away. And I said, why is this on the front? And they're like, because God always speaks about the Messiah. And um, as you learn about Messiah, Messiah Jesus, Messiah Yeshua or whatever, um, you know, you, you value these things more importantly because the, the word, he is the word. And it testifies about yeah. himself. And he talked about, and this is in the first book of the Bible. Yeah. And so, you know. So I thought it was interesting, and you know, attacking Chuck Missler because of the root word fallacy. I, you know, we'll we'll talk about what you we mentioned before in the podcast how if if it's just man writing these things, I, you know, yeah, and then it's, it's, just, it's too complex. Book.
1: Yeah, it's too complex, and what we had talked about before the podcast, just to give you a quick example, is I think the genealogy in Matthew. And it was Chuck I was listening to, and he tells the the congregation or group of students he's talking to, okay, I'm going to give you an assignment. And the assignment is to write down your family's genealogy. He says, uh, I want you to do whatever you do with that in multiples of seven. So I'm going to give you an assignment. The first directive is that you have to use however many names you use has to be a multiple of seven. And you say, well, okay, that's easy. I can just go back and write my last including my name, my last six uh, fathers, fathers, grandfathers, great-grandgrandfathers, and there you go, seven. Or if you want to, you can go back to 14. So you and the 13 before you, or if you can do 21, but whatever it is, got to be a multiple of seven. And and he says, I give you that, and you say, okay, it's easy, I'll do that. And then he says, I want you also to use, besides names, seven other words. Okay? So... Uh, or multiples of seven other words. So you can write out sentences like these are the names of my family. There you go, seven. And you start listing the names. He says, then I want you to uh, count make sure that while you're writing through this genealogy, use a multiple of seven words, however many are, 70, 77, whatever it is. And then I want you to you make sure, go through and count and make sure you have used a multiple of sevens letters so you're getting the point of this and he says uh if there are verbs in your genealogy i want to make i want you to make sure there are multiple of seven verbs well there are seven verbs 14 verbs or 21 verbs and then i want you to make sure that you use one of those verbs unchanged that means unconjugated in its root form a multiple of seven times The other ones, I want you to make sure you translate those or conjugate those in a way that makes them conjugate a multiple of seven times each. So seven different forms of this particular verb over here. So as he goes on, he basically lists about 30 different multiples of seven that are all interwoven into this genealogy that tell us about who. (laughs) So the point is, Matthew could have wrote this down. Matthew could not have written this down the way it's written down. And it could be a massive chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll say that it could be a massive chance. I don't believe it is, and I would say the odds are way in my favor that it's not a
0: chance. Well, it's just like you know the the thing with Jesus fulfilling prophecies. Is there a chance that one person can fulfill those prophecies? Yeah, it's it's highly highly unlikely. I mean, I I think they talked about filling the whole state of Texas, you know, five feet, ten feet tall of of pennies and marking one penny with a sharpie and throwing it just randomly throwing it in from a helicopter, and you have one shot at picking that out and you know with that, blindfolds on, right? Yeah, and that's that's the probability of it. So is it? But is we're it, talking
1: about the probability though, because you say could could a person fulfill a a prophecy? Yes. Anybody could fulfill any single one prophecy. Jesus didn't stop at one. Right. And uh, I've heard the uh, the mathematical analogy you just gave, and that's like at the level of eight prophecies. Yeah. And Jesus fulfilled around 300. So that's it's all authentication. That's what it's all about.
0: Right. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, my point was, is, is it possible that Moses wrote certain things down a certain way, and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and et cetera. It's a very, very, very. I mean,
1: well, to say yes or no, technically, is it possible? Yes, sure. They could have planned it all out. It's technically possible, right? But
0: but it points towards a God. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't see what. Atta- I don't see attacking Chuck Missler or. Finding a revelation about Jesus in the Bible hidden or finding some great meanings that point towards a God or point towards Jesus, I don't see what the big issue is. See
1: what you're saying? No, 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 no. You
0: you can't. There's no gospel in Genesis. You're nuts. Well, what
1: you're saying, I think, is nothing new is true. Nothing true is new, (laughs) which I told you before, I think is a person saying, I have all truth already. Yeah. And I haven't heard what you just said, so it's not true. Right. Which I've, I'm going to call it complete BS. Sure. If if I'm telling you something from the Bible you've never heard, you could entertain it for a moment and say, let me go examine that instead of just knocking it down and saying, no, that's not true. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Well, whatever.
0: I mean, it, but these people that attack also read new commentaries that come out. This person just had a new revelation. Because new archaeology evidence, or this person just read the bi- read the Bible and he interpreted it in a different way. And I mean, we have how many thousands of commentaries because someone has read it and and interpreted a certain way.
1: <laughs> Point mean, in case, we have Christian bookstores. <laughs> <laughs> they exist. <laughs> yeah. Done.
0: We have how many denominations? <laughs> yeah, and and you know what with pastors within those denominations that have their own belief and inter- I mean, it just goes on and on. So I don't understand what. I just, again i don't understand the purpose of attacking uh chuck messer or a jewish rabbi or if you're pointing it towards jesus and it's there i mean you can't deny yeah. the definition you can't deny if if we uncover it or if someone uncovers it and it's there and it points towards jesus it point towards god it doesn't point towards us or anything like that it just says wow god inspired this yeah i i, I I don't see what the big deal is. I don't see well, a fallacy guy, there.
1: One guy you had uh, forwarded uh, a screenshot to me of basically commented that Jesus and Paul didn't talk about this or expound on it. But yeah. we don't yeah. know what all Jesus talked about on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, he three different times it says he opened their minds. Yeah. He opened the scriptures. He right. opened the 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 law and the prophets. In the writings, he opened the whole Old Testament to them about himself. So we don't know what he taught. He could have easily taught Genesis 5. Yeah. And I think, imagine that we are walking along with Jesus uh, on the road to Emmaus. You are going to sit down a little while and eat bread when you finally get to the house you're going to. And this guy who you don't actually know is Jesus is teaching you about the Old Testament. And he's pointing everything you come across to the Messiah. And he comes to Genesis 5 and he says, y'all remember Genesis 5, don't you? And one of the guys there is a good Jewish boy. And he says, oh, yeah, Adam had Seth at 130 years old. And Adam lived 800 more years after that. And that, and Adam's total years were 930. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, that's the one. Have you ever considered the root names or the root meanings of the names that those guys were given throughout that chapter? And these two Jewish guys speaking Hebrew understood, yeah, our names all have roots. Right. Uh, let's see. And they start going through their mind, saying this, 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 this. And they speak this sentence out loud. And this guy who's teaching them, walking along with them, probably chuckles like, you get it, don't you? But we don't know that Jesus did teach it. We don't know he didn't teach it. Right. So we can't say throw it out the door because Jesus didn't talk about
0: it. <laughs> right.
1: There, I mean that whole that one chapter of Luke twenty four, his his teaching time there throws that whole commentary for the whole old testament throws out the window. There's no reason to ever say again, Well, we don't Jesus didn't teach about it, so we shouldn't talk about it and worry about it. We don't know they didn't talk about it. Yeah. Anyway, uh I agree. Here we go back to though uh the average The average preacher who's been through Bible college or seminary will easily agree to you with you that Jesus is on every page in the Bible until you show them. If you show them somewhere, you found it. They disagree with it. I have, I've experienced that over and over again.
0: That's hilarious. He's
1: on every page of the Bible. I believe that sincerely. And they don't actually teach that from the pulpit. They just said the other statement from, if you, if you approach them at some point and say, I want you to look at what I found. It's in the old Testament. And they say, I don't know about that. They, that's far from they, Yeah, they poo-poo it out the door and say nah, we can't go out that
0: God wouldn't put that in there.
1: I, I thought he was on every page.
0: Well, it's figurative.
1: Yeah, that's figurative. Everything I say is figurative. <laughs> <laughs> don't take nothing I say from anyway. God's
0: not gonna reveal himself on every page. God's <laughs> not gonna speak into God's don't speak in parables and hidden meanings. That's crazy talk. And it's like Jesus gave parables and you're like What do you mean? I'm not going to tell it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I mean, there's a meaning deeper than what he's telling you on the surface. I mean, it's not like God's going to put things in the Bible that makes you want to study and search the scriptures to find the truth.
1: Well, here's here's the question. It's crazy. Man's made in God's image, right? Yeah. What all does that include? Does that include the way we think and create when we do art, when we do poetry, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Does man not write things with Literary devices. Do we not pun? Do we not joke? Did we create those things without God creating them in us? Or are we his image on the earth? We're like him. We speak in jokes and puns and have fun, and we spell words backwards, and we do anachronistic poems where every succeeding line starts with the next letter in our present alphabet that we use. But yet we say that the Holy Spirit, who is the inspirer of Scripture, would not have used puns and jokes, et cetera.
0: <laughs>
1: Why wouldn't point. he have? So my point on some of the code stuff, because we haven't actually said the word code, but Bible codes. Um, I love words, letters, puzzles. <laughs> I love that yeah. stuff. I thrive on it. And one reason I think that it is there is because God made people like me. I'm not good at math. He made some people who are super good at math. There's a lot of neat math things in the Bible. There's some people who don't give a rat's tail about any of words, letters, or numbers and their mechanics. And as far as written word, many of them will say, I don't spend a lot of time reading. That's not my thing. So God puts the gospel message on the surface and the person who is a surface reader reads it and they can get saved. And the person who is a, uh meticulous letter splitting digging person who loves written word for what it is he puts things down on the level they'll keep digging and what i have seen being that kind of person doing that uh, bible study that style is that there is no bottom of the barrel yeah And, and so i say to myself every time i find something like that again Number one, as Mark said a while ago, nothing wrong with finding another hidden thing that you haven't seen before if it still points to Jesus. And what I have found as I look through the Bible and uh, name meanings uh, woven down into a story. There's a story going on, and then there, here's all these names. Like, I wonder what these names mean. You look them all up, and you start putting them together. It's the gospel message, or it's the Great Commission. Those are the two main things. I have found some very small number of other things other messages, but primarily it's the gospel again and again and again, primarily. Secondarily, I find the great commission here and there sometimes telling you basically you need to be spreading this message. You need to be telling other people about this. That's but good point. so, uh, codes, well, we I- one, one last thing on that because what do we do in wartime with our communications?
0: Yeah, Morse code.
1: We send them, well, not just Morse code. We come up with codes that are secret codes that right. must be broken by a machine. This is what the whole movie Enigma was about, which I haven't seen, but that's a, a true history movie. The situation of Enigma was that the Germans came up with a machine that would use uh, an algorithm, and the code itself would change over time, depending on where you turn the first dials. So the first dials of this machine would set what the code would come out as. And when the code letter came out, it was a different code every single time. So A did not equal T every time. This letter, A equaled T. The next letter they sent, A would equal S. The next time, it would A would equal E. So, and then all those would, the entire alphabet would change around constantly. But the Germans were using this, and it took, I think it took uh, finding and confiscating another one of those Enigma machines for us to ever break that code. So if mankind makes codes, and we do, and if mankind breaks codes, and we do, we write codes? Where did it come from? We didn't create this. There is a master code writer. There is a master code breaker, and he reveals them. He wrote them himself. And you need a decoder to decode a code that has been written by an encoder. The Holy Spirit's the encoder. He writes the scripture by inspiration. When you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, how can you understand the mind of a man without the spirit of the man? So you can't understand the mind of God without the spirit of God. But once you have the spirit of God, he is the decoder ring.
0: Period. That's why you can read the Bible and look and get history from it. And then if you get saved or the Holy spirit comes on you, then you, you see it differently he reveals, he, he reveals the code, so to speak, you know, yeah. you're in a matrix and then all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, Whoa, this is, yeah. this is actually different. Just way thick way. stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, do we, this and David don't disagree too much on things, but do we disagree <laughs> on the Bible code? I don't know what your actual take then and do exist or not. <laughs> cause we, we, cause we're mentioning all this coding thing and I know he mentioned the code and there's a book, you know, the Bible code. And I think the Bible code too came out. I'll say when, when I first got saved, I was um, reading the King James. I had a, I had a Bible that was King James and I had Strong's concordance with it. So, you know, you can go look up the Greek and Hebrew. Cause I was, I mean, I was just curious. I was hungry. I want to know what things meant. And, yeah. um, you know, again, I, I talked to a guy who knew Hebrew and who dug deep into the scriptures and, and studied the Jewish culture. And he said, if you really want to get in God's word, get in the Hebrew, get in the Greek. So I bought that Bible for like 50 bucks at a Bible bookstore. And so I started reading that. And then, uh, I had someone else tell me, have you ever heard of the Bible code? And I said, no, never heard of it. And they said, Oh, you need to read it. So I got the Bible code and I read it. And, um, you know, it was, various things i don't remember specifics but so i'm just kind of um saying you know talked about the jfk assassinations in the bible um if you you know and they would like decode or analyze yeah. certain things um
1: world war 2 hitler's in there that yeah,
0: kind of stuff i i think there like we like we mentioned i think there are codes there are hidden things in the bible But I also think you can analyze it to the point of um, making it say certain things that's not there. Yeah. Um, Because again, like I said earlier, everything really is pointing back to God or pointing back to Jesus or pointing as he's the real God. He's the one true God. He inspired this book and all the things that we find hidden do that. Um, I don't necessarily believe that the JFK assassination can be decoded from the scripture.
1: Well, here's one thing why that is possible. Okay. Because uh, as Chuck Missler takes major hits on this, he's simply telling what he's studied elsewhere too. So he says, this is not a new thing. It's simply been a hidden thing waiting. Uh, Was it Josiah who said, Josiah was the one, basically he became king at 18, or was it 13? 13. He became king at thirteen. At eighteen, he said, "Let's clean out the temple and remodel and re- and do the renovations to get it good looking again." Right. He had been around Jeremiah the prophet for five years. He's been listening to Jeremiah from thirteen to eighteen. He said, "Okay, let's let's make a move. Let's do it." What did he find there? He found the Word of God, the Law of Moses, hidden back in the temple. This stuff's been sitting here hidden, and Chuck's only explanation of why it's now being found. In such uh, quantities, is not that it's never been found. Many of those things have been found for a long time, but if you if if you'll get a uh, look at some Hebrew scripture one time, in a place that someone tells you that there is something, number one, you need a a uh, a Hebrew vocabulary. If you don't have the vocabulary, you may skip right over words and never see them. I don't have enough vocabulary to sit here and do it myself. I have a good bit of vocabulary, but just to count through an area and say, Oh, there's a word. Bam. No, I'm, I'm bam. I'm blind. That's, I'm not seeing that. Right. So what such thing is this has been sitting here for so long and mankind has not found it until the advent of computers. Now we run programs that are designed to go through and look, uh, you can program that computer to say, here's a, a dictionary of vocabulary in the Hebrew language. Go through this text and see if there are any uh, equidistant letter skip phrases or words that come out. The computer comes back in a few minutes scanning the entire Old Testament and saying, yeah, we found all these words. So you feed into it. Here's the other thing about the Bible code uh, having world history like World War One and World War Two, and Kennedy being shot and Hitler and this kind of stuff being mentioned in it. If you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know what words to look for, so you cannot predict the future with this. And that's not the purpose of it. It is authentication, again, for God to say, "I knew what was going to happen. I put it in there." And you, since the event happened, you can look up, uh, you can look up JFK, you can look up John F. Kennedy or whatever you want, how you want to spell it. Along with that, in the same section, you can look up uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby. Lehar Harvey Oswald shot uh, JFK. Jack Ruby shot Lehar Harvey Oswald. You can look up uh, the library, the theater, the Grassy Knoll. We didn't know those things would exist in the same scenario. Right. But after they happened, you can now look for a handful of common words that are all together, and you're telling a computer to go search for you. Before we had that, who in the world in the 1300s, some rabbi studying the scripture is going to look for JFK. Yeah, yeah. They're not. It doesn't exist, whatever that means. So they're not going to look for it. And it's also its future. It's not even a Hebrew word. So, I mean, you're looking for things that are supposed to show up from another language here and there. Sure. But, uh, so that said, are they, are there some things there? Yes. How deep do they go? I don't know, but I do want to keep pointing out to, I don't find the bottom of the barrel. That's godlike. God, Go ahead.
0: I'll say, what do you mean? Uh,
1: You keep digging all you want to in this book. There's no end. There's no final. Oh, I got the last fact. I got all the knowledge now. I can close it. I'm done.
0: Gotcha.
1: There's no end. If you could remember it all, there still is no end to what is in this book.
0: Right.
1: Even if you memorize all the face value words that are written on the pages, you haven't even touched the surface of what is actually in this book. And the, the, If, if all that is in this book is black ink on white pages and you could memorize it all, if that's all that's in here, that's all.
0: Then why are we studying?
1: Why are we we studying? It's just a book then. It means nothing. It can't change your life if it's simply ink on pages and man wrote it only.
0: And that's a good point because I mean, you know, people come along and I don't remember if we've talked about on the podcast or we talked about elsewhere. But people, when you go through certain things, um, you kind of interpret the scripture in a different way, meaning I'm going to look at, I'm going to read about persecution and I'm going to kind of have a general idea. Uh, I could picture things in my head. I can read stories. Yeah. But I'm not going to interpret that scripture really. W- I can interpret it, but there's going to be a different interpretation from a person who has actually gone through persecution yeah they're gonna be able to tell me more about that verse and talk about everything that's in the everything in the bible about persecution and dealing with things more they're gonna be able to make it come more alive than me just saying and persecution is just people attacking you because of what you believe yeah um and you know so i I think that's why
1: there's two different greek words for no (laughs) one is is no effect and one is i have experienced the fact i really know it better than the guy who says he knows it and hasn't experienced it two different knows there but that
0: so i mean the bible like we talked about the bible is alive we don't think it's just a dead you know letters on a paper no um it's alive it we believe it changes you not just your lifestyle not just your morals but um your innermost being so to speak and we have we have value there. So that's why we kind of look into these meanings and talk about the hidden. And that's why we brought up Chuck Messler, And that's why we brought up the sentence that we'll kind of talk about in a second in Genesis 5. We believe that there, there's so much truth in God's word that— um, It's
1: inexhaustive.
0: Yeah. And if it's there, why not take a look?
1: Yeah. I do want to go over one right here just to say it's here in— uh, I'm not particularly defending Chuck Missler. Has he ever said anything I disagree with, or I just don't think is, yeah. But overall, I learned a lot from him and as respect out of, a, out of respect for a teacher that I've learned a lot from over the years, when he says such and such is there, I haven't said, oh, well, that's there. I have gotten my Bible out and I go there and see. Yeah. And when he's talking about these, uh, equidistant letter skips, I have gone here to see what this is. This is one of the most interesting ones. It is uh, at the first page of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So we're talking about the Torah, Moses' five books. Uh, if you go on page one of the uh, of Genesis, chapter one, verse one, the first tav you come to, it's either forty nine, and I I won't have specifics on this. It's either forty nine or fifty letters you count. You'll come to a uh, vav. Forty-nine more, you count and you get to a resh. Forty-nine more, or if either forty-nine or fifty, you get to a, a he. So it's uh, tav vav resh he, which is Torah. If you go to the first page of Exodus, you go to your first tav, and you count the same way again. You get tav vav resh he, Torah. Now, Hebrew being written from right to left, this is, uh, as you find the first letter, it's the first letter and it it reads forward, right to left. So you would think to yourself, that's interesting. It's not just a needle in a haystack though. You go to Deuteronomy, which is the last book. Not necessarily the first one, but it is also there. So uh, let's see, and just to tell you, It stretches from verse 5 to verse 8. It's backwards, though. The Tav is last. Now, remember, Hebrew being written uh, right to left, you would expect all of them possibly to be the same. No, they're not the same. When you go to Deuteronomy, it's written backwards, so you've got your Tav, Vav, resh He, Torah, in the first chapter, on the first page there, written backwards. It's also... I think again, a uh, 49 or 50 letter skip. Wait a minute, I got it written right here. 48 letter skip on that one. So the book before it, think there's something there. <laughs> there is something there. It is a 49 letter skip in the first chapter of Numbers. And it's also backwards, just like Deuteronomy. Backwards as far as Hebrews is concerned. So it's left to right. If you wrote all the, if you went and took every single letter that's in, the scripture there. Instead of writing it in a column, you wrote it out in a straight line across a wall, and you start from that tav, and you count your well, it's in forty-nine skip. If you count your forty-nine letters, you're going to come to a vav, and keep counting left to right as we read in English, and you're going to come to your resh and your hay next. So, what do you have so far? In Genesis and Exodus, you have Torah being spelled this same direction, right to left like it's pointing inward. Then you go to Deuteronomy, the end, and you find that it's pointing backwards in. Deuteronomy and Numbers are both pointing backwards toward the middle again. So your two outside books are pointing to the middle. Then you go to Leviticus and you say well surely in Leviticus must have Torah hidden somewhere also in some kind of letter skip. Nope. What is the Torah pointing to? You go in Leviticus chapter 1 verse 1. Your first letter you're looking at is Yod. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, skip seven, you come to a hey. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, skip seven, you come to a vav. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, skip seven, you come to a hey. Yod, hey, vav, hey. It's the name of Yahweh. So what is the Torah in in Genesis and Exodus? And Deut- uh, Deuteronomy and Numbers pointing towards is pointing towards the middle, and what's in the middle? Is, it's it's uh, Yod He Vav mm. So the Torah is pointing to God, like you said well ago. Then, what is this? This little it's not it's not a secret. It's just right. sitting there for somebody to find. What is it pointing towards? It's pointing towards God, and this is the true God. Mm. That's it. It's not giving us a new revelation. It's the same thing that God says. In black and white to Moses, write this down. There's no God like me. I'm it.
0: So like you talked about, there's people that'll take God at face value. They read the Bible. Okay. He's done for my sins. They're satisfied. I I accept it. Yeah. And there's people like, man, there's got to be more to it. And they'll search the scriptures and find something like this. And there's no way (laughs) a man just, you know, randomly put all these things in there to point to God. He's got to be. So, uh, I like that point. If you want to
1: challenge this, though, sit down and try to write a story. Beforehand, choose a word that you want to hide in the story, and then choose a number that you're going to skip the letters so that you hide this word every as an equidistant letter skip. Say you want to write a story about uh, uh, what you did last Saturday with Layla on Saturday morning, mm. but you're going to hide Layla's name in there, and you're going to skip five letters between L and A five letters between a and Y five between Y and L five between to the next A. See if you can do that.
0: I will see. I, I've, I write poetry or used to, and I love, I just love hidden meanings. I love symbolism. I just love it. And I remember trying to hide words where, um, you know, the words in a verse or the words in a chorus or uh song. If I write a song, yeah. Um, poetry into a song or whatever i would try to each each first letter i would try to spell out something It was difficult that's just the first I letter cu- too yeah i could, I, I, could well, I couldn't do it my brain didn't work that way i just you know i just give up and write my symbolism and hidden meaning because people would always ask what 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 are you what are you writing what do you mean like well figure out figure out for yourself but yeah as far as this i mean this is pretty complex
1: we had a uh, assignment in uh Poetry, wisdom, um, that being Psalms and Proverbs, etc. The one of the first assignments was uh the teacher basically said, uh, okay, there's it was an online class, so it was small. There's five of you. I want uh in the order of your the alphabetic of your name, the alphabetical order of your names in the class. If you are the second person, I want you to translate the the B section of Psalm one nineteen. Retranslate it into English and make it all start with b's because in the hebrew it all starts with bet. So the first 8 verses start with aleph, the second 8 start with bet, gimel, he, all the way through the entire alphabet. So Psalm 119 is that, 8 each. Yeah. And he's saying basically, you don't have to do the whole, the whole 119, but I want you to take the b section and I want you to translate that the meanings of what it was and rewrite it in English and start every single line with b that was a an a nice assignment to see what goes into that, but you' have already you really what you're saying you've already done the task and you saw that it was extremely difficult to work on
0: i mean it would take i mean it would be exhaustive because if you're trying to hide something specifically and i mean the Bible is different authors different times i mean you you know you got to collaborate and i mean it's just it's exhaustive for one person, but let alone you're writing a story, you're writing laws, you're writing, um, you know, you're dealing with, and the stories have to make sense. The narratives have to make sense. Yeah. You know, like,
1: you're but, hiding words and things that make sense.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's exhaustive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just thinking about it, my mind is, you know. But Well,
1: like you just said, though, about 4,000 years spread, about 40 different authors uh, it covers a different range of what, how you want to divide the land, but over three or four different continent areas, yeah, they're spread out. They're spread out in time and space, but their message agrees, and they all have things in them that authenticate that they didn't write it solely out of their own mind.
0: Right.
1: So we want to move along with the actual text. I think we've said what we want to.
0: <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> Kind got invented and got it out there.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, so we left off kind of at, uh, was it verse three?
0: I mean, we read verses one through five kind of as a gathering. Okay.
1: Um, yeah, because we did say, uh, how long do we think, uh, how old do we think Adam and Eve was when they had Cain and Abel? I had guessed around 85 to 100-ish. Um, looking back at... Chapter 4 begins with, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. As the firstborn, now means it happened after what came before it. What came before it, they just got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So they started having uh, sons and daughters after the Garden of Eden. If they had Cain and Abel around uh, 85 to 100 years old, if they were both around 30 to 40 years old when the murder event happened, and here they are at 130, it kind of makes sense that they would have been around 85 to 100 when they got kicked out. So they spent, uh, I haven't found any other uh, commentary to agree with this, but it seems like they spent about less than 100 years in the garden before they were kicked out. Uh, Again, all speculation, but just trying to guess how old Cain and Abel were when they did their mess. Right. Let's see, uh, this is one thing I noticed that was kind of just flipped. In Genesis 1, God made man in our image according to our likeness. And we talked about those words that day. It was a bezel nu It is literally in our image like our likeness as we look. The order here and the arrangement of the attached prepositional prefixes flipped with man. So it's not a uh, be- image, which is in the image, and kid metenu, or kid demut, which is uh, according to. This one is, uh, let's see, kizelmo. So it's according to the image of man. Uh, Let's see, what was the other one? Bidmuto. So it's got the, the prepositions that are attached to it are flipped, and the order of the two words are flipped. So God does it one way. Man does it backwards.
0: Hmm.
1: That's you know, kind of a little thing there, but. And that kind of goes right into the genealogy. Right. You want to jump on it? Well. <laughs> <No. laughs> okay, so I'll just go through them kind of in a flash if I can, well, because let me let me ask you this: you
0: um, I, I think I've mentioned it or I've asked you about it, but when I was reading and and remembering the story of Cain and Abel far-fetched, but I kind of see it as a prodigal story, but without the returning home. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, I see the two sons and one doing what the father wants, and the other one just is a wanderer, goes and does his thing. But in the story Jesus tells, you know, the son obviously comes back, but here, Cain stays away and, and stays so We did talk presence. about one
1: was, I mean, obviously being able. We did talk about in the grammar there. One is saved and one is not. Yeah. One is attached to God and one is not. And the the father, when he returned, he killed the fatty calf. There was a, a killed animal in that story. Yeah. And uh, if he was with God and walking with God and in favor with God, when he died, he did return to God, really. No. Yeah. Sure. That's that I don't think you had mentioned that to me. That's pretty cool though.
0: But it was just a thought that I wrote down that it just came to me. But anyway.
1: Okay, so uh just to start on the names. Uh it's interesting to me that each one is or just arranged uh every three verses. Three verses, three verses, three verses. But uh so we can kind of break it up in in sections like that. In each verse, basically you have uh when so and so lived. X number of years he fathered so and so. And then the second verse of those three on average has, uh, then he fathered, let's see, we'll use Seth and Enosh, verses six through eight as an example. So Seth lived 105 years he fathered Enosh. And you will see that pattern again and again in the first verse of the three together. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and he had other sons and daughters. And we'll see that. Repeated again and again also. That's the second verse of each set. Verse 8 Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And that'll be the conclusion of each set of three. Right. So we see that pattern again and again. So uh just to tackle the name meanings, we'll just throw them out here. Uh there's Adam, which we know is man. And it comes from uh Adama, which is dirt. Seth is Verses six through eight, we just read. Adam named his son Shait, which would be the, the right pronunciation. It means compensation. Compensation for what? We already know from the close of, <laughs> of chapter four that Eve is thinking this is a compensation of lost Cain and Abel both. Yeah. It comes from sheet. It means to put or to set or to appoint, to fix, to be imposed or set upon. So you get the idea of... of and we're going to stick with the the concept of appointing or fixing. Something is put in place, and that's how it is. Then you got the uh, other sons and daughters. This provides sister wives. We did discuss last time where Cain and Abel get their wives. Right. Abel didn't get his wife nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have one. Cain, obviously there was a sister or two or, or whatever right. born after Cain before Enosh. We think that Enosh is the third son. If he's not the third son, he is the one born directly after the murder and the banishment. Because uh, uh, Eve is saying this is a compensation and Adam is saying, yep, he's compensation. They both agree on that name. So uh, other sons and daughters provide sister wives. Adam died at 930 years old. Enosh, this is uh, verses 9 through 11. Let's see, Seth had Enosh. Enosh means man. It comes from Anash. The uh root there just goes further and further down until we get to another word we've seen, Ish. Uh from looking at Genesis 2, back uh, into we had verses 21 through 23. We the different the different words for man. Uh man was individual, mortal man, a person, or mankind as a collective. It comes from Anosh, which means to be weak or to be frail, to be sick, to be incurable. Seth died at 912 years old. And what we're getting at here as far as, we'll go ahead and state it out, the name sentence comes from the root, root, root. Until you get down to a primitive root, if when you're searching in Strong's, you're looking at a word and you get down to the root, uh, you'll come to one that says a primitive root and there is no from there. So if I'm looking at the word Anosh, it would have a link going to another uh strong's entry it says from such and such and you click on that one and it go a will go to Anash if you were looking at ish and you clicked on the root of that it would say contraction of it would take you to Anash so just how you link things there but when you go on the very very bottom uh route that doesn't go any further, that's what we're actually going for in this this name sentence that the uh messianic jews pointed out for us uh let's see Enosh's son is canaan this is uh verses 12 through 14 Enosh had canaan it means possession it comes from the same as cain this is not the name cain remember we pronounced the name cain as a two syllable name Cain. this is cain as in one syllable it means nest It is a contracted form of Canaan, which means to make a nest. Uh, And I did just put it back here as far as uh, because one of the commentaries in uh, one of the the Jewish uh, commentary book I have with Mishnah stuff written around it links all these names in Seth's line to all the names in Cain's line. So uh, Canaan here does actually link over to Cain as a... What's what's the, the word for a sound-alike? There's a literary term for a sound-alike word, not just simply rhyme, but either way. Uh, Canaan dies at 905 years. He has a son named Mahalalel. Mahalalel means the praise of God. Mahalal means praise, boast. It comes from the verb halal. Many times we'll get to, and we did look at this already, and we, we talked about, uh, what was the name? Mahuya El, which was in the line of Cain. Mahuya El was uh, the M on the front. A lot of times, M's and N's on the fronts and ends of words. When you take those off, you're left with a verb usually, but that that makes it an, into a noun. So, Machalel, Mahalal, or excuse me, Mahalal means praise. Halal means to shine, to praise as the verb, to boast or to be boastful. Mahalalel died at eight hundred and ninety-five years old. He had Yedid. Yedid means descent. Uh, yarad, which you obviously you know you recognize, we're just changing the uh, vowels, means to go down or to descend, to be sent, uh, to be sent down, to be brought down. Yedid lived nine hundred and sixty-two years. <clears throat> Yedid had Chanuk. Chanuk is well, who we say Enoch. Chanuk means, uh, or it comes from the word for to train or to train up. You're getting a child ready, you're training, you're dedicating them to something, you're inaugurating them for some purpose. His total years of earthly life was 365. He did not die. All others on their third verse of their set. Ends with, he died, and 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 he died. And then we get here to Hanuk, and Hanuk was lakach. He was taken. This is a common everyday word for take. Uh, Enoch was taken by God. Uh, he walked with God. This, there's nothing mystical, uh, crazy, odd about this. He didn't walk in a, some form of mist or a glory cloud. This is the regular word, halak, which means walked. It would almost, almost look like God was still walking with some people like he did with Adam and Eve. Yeah. But it's the common word walk. Um, common everyday verb for to take, get, or lay hold of is lakak. To seize, to receive, to bring, or to take a wife. It's the same word used for to take a wife. Or to snatch. In to snatch, to seize, to receive or bring a whole lot of uh, rapture type ideas. There's uh, there is a good picture type here in Enoch. Uh, The judgment that is coming there. Here's Enoch being raptured out. He's being snatched out. He's being uh, received out Hmm? before. Yeah. Before Before. his time uh, for the flood. And also, it's interesting if you if you're doing a picture type, uh, look at this. If Enoch is raptured out before the judgment, he would be the church. And this verb is also used. It's the same verb you would use if you're going to take a wife. So that would be the church there. Pretty neat.
0: Do you want to go, out, go out, talk about Enoch or do you want to go through your meanings first and then come back?
1: Let's let's come back to him because okay. I, I don't want to. Uh, I would like to spend time on him. I don't want to just rush through right quick. I want to break the flow either what we're already okay. looking at. Okay. Because we'll be finished with it in just a second anyway. Methuselah. Enoch had Methuselah. Uh, Let's see. Methuselah means man of the dart. It's very, very close meanings uh, to Cain's line, Methuselah. The beginning of it, Methut, also links back to Mat, or Mati, Matai, excuse me, not, not Mati, Matai. Mat means male or man. Matai means when. It's actually if you were to study Hebrew right now, I have a phrase book, your common regular words for like what, when, where, this would be when. It's just real simple, straightforward. Um in the middle of his name, or at the end of his name really, Shelach. Shelach is a weapon or a missile or a sprout. It comes from the word Shelach. Shelach comes from Shelach. It means to send. <clears throat> this is a common everyday word throughout the scripture for uh, God sent the prophet to David. Uh, David sent gold to his friend, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's a regular word for to send. That's if you, if you picture it though, um, you're sending out a missile or a projectile. If you're throwing a spear at someone, you're throwing a dart at someone, you're sending it out. So he's the man of the dart. It's interesting to me the beginning of his name is also death. Moot. <laughs> uh if if you were to look at it as a uh, a verb conjugation, metu It sounds really close to the, the a verb form for third person they third person excuse me, third person uh plural. It's not masculine or feminine, it's they. So, yeah. it sounds like they die. So metu shelach, shelach means send. He sends their death. That's my own translation out of it. The standard translation you're going to find in uh, Strong's is going to be "man of the dart." Uh, he is the oldest living recorded person, or oldest recorded living person. Yeah. He dies at nine hundred and sixty-five. If you do your math out of this, that's if you believe the numbers. Yeah, <laughs> he is the only one as recorded as literally dying because of the flood, or, or I can say he dies in the year of the flood. I would assume he dies because of the flood. Uh, Methuselah has Lemek. This is a different Lemek. This is not the same Lemek. The other Lemek's dad. What was his name? If we look back, Lemek. Uh, Lemek was born Methusael. This is Methuselah. So this is a different limic. He's in a different line. This is just recapping what we already looked at in the other lineage. limic means powerful. It's from an unused root. We're not certain of the meaning. Then he has Noah. Noah means rest. Uh, It comes from Noah means resting place, which would be a noun, of course. Uh, Noah is a verb, or excuse me, nuach is a verb to rest, to settle down, to be quiet. To obtain rest. So there's uh, a little bit, uh, like five verses at the beginning that sets up the chapter for Adam having Seth. There's, uh, I think, five verses, if I remember right, for Enoch one, two, three, four, excuse me. And then right here at the end, when Lamech has Noah, there's another set of verses that are a little bit longer than the standard three set. So just to look at Noah's uh, name, individual name meaning rest. Lamech had lived, this is verse 28, Lamech had lived 182 years. He fathered a son and he called his name Noah, saying out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lemek were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Okay? You want to actually before we go back and look at Enoch then individually, let's state the sentence as plainly yeah. as possible just to put it out there. Perfect. This is going back and taking the roots of all these names and putting them together basically in the the base root and just making the sentence that the messianic Jews claim that is here. Just remembering Adam means man, Seth means appointed, and so on. So the first there's actually two sentences. The first sentence is, "Man appointed to make a nest of incurable sickness." Uh, it looks like a good uh, reference to our sin nature and the 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 mess that we're in. Man is appointed to make a nest of incurable sickness. Second sentence, praise of God descend to inaugurate, sending powerful rest. The praise of God descends, inaugurating and and bringing or sending a powerful rest. The Messiah comes. He's the praise of God. He descends. He comes down, and mm-hmm. he inaugurates or sets aside. He he puts something in, in, in motion, and he designates it and says, this is what it's going to be. I'm giving you the power to rest. Mm-hmm. And if you read post-cross New Testament, What God is bringing mankind is the opportunity to rest from our work. The work that we do, if you are not saved and you're not a servant of God, the work you do is flat, stinking useless. It's being written down in your book on one page while all your evil deeds are written down the next page. And those things are all taken out and weighed out in front of your face at the white throne judgment. And you are thrown in hell. So, the the rest that God offers is in Jesus Christ. Right. So that's that's kind of some of the things that are bucked so much. Let's go back and look at Enoch and then we'll look at uh the, the timeline here to say if you believe this stuff, this is what the time <laughs> is when we get to the end of this chapter. Right. So Enoch.
0: So yeah, verses twenty-one through twenty-four, you you talked about the pattern here of three verses and sections dealing with, and because Enoch is different, I think um, it's almost like God uh, is saying, pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention to the sky. Pay attention to why I'm breaking it. Um, There's something special here. And verse 21 and 24, I'm sorry, verse 22 and 24, the phrase "walk with God is there. So, um, obviously when something's there more than once it's emphasized or again paying attention right so i think i kind of took it away as um god emphasizing you know surrounding death surrounding sin surrounding uh
1: or surrounded by yeah yeah the the yeah.
0: cain's lineage and this lineage um god's almost like you could still walk with me you could still have <laughs> this close relationship yeah. with me, even when you're surrounded by death, when you're surrounded by sin, you still have that nature. You can still walk close with me.
1: That's a good devotion. You ought to write that sometime. Put it on two spies.
0: That <laughs> <laughs> net. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that that was one thought that I mentioned. Um, Enoch is mentioned as a cloud of a witness, like Abel in Hebrews twelve one. Um, Hebrews twelve one is actually talking about the people that are mentioned in Hebrews eleven. Um, talking about their faith, and so they're, they're going to be a cloud of witnesses. So, um, any thoughts on what are your thoughts on Enoch?
1: Uh, here's one thing on on Enoch. Um, First Chronicles one three mentions Enoch, Methuselah, Lemek, meaning they're mentioning. And I'm just, I just uh, did a word search for Enoch to see where he shows up, how many times, etc. Um, thirteen times in twelve verses. One, two, three in chapter 4, which is the Enoch from Cain's line, not this same Enoch. From there, that Enoch is not mentioned again. So that would be 10 times Enoch is mentioned in the rest of the Bible. Genesis 5, 18, 5, 19, 5, 21, and 22, 23, 24, excuse me. Yeah, a lot there. <laughs> then you got him showing up in First Chronicles 1, 3. My point is... They obviously believe that Limech, excuse me Enoch Methuselah, and Lemek that all these were actual true lineages that this was something to actually count in fact let's turn there just a second to see a little bit of the context to see what they where they're placing the name of Enoch at, and that is first Chronicles one. I think the first twelve chapters of first Chronicles are basically straight names and lineages. It's good stuff <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see. First Chronicles 1, 1. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Yared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, Yapheth. the sons of Yapeth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavbentub, Bala, Meshech, Tiras. And from there, the sons of Gomer, and it just goes on and on. This right here, is basically, they're restating the table of nations, which is Genesis 10. They're, so they're using uh, Genesis 5. Bam, 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 just names. Then they're going through the table of nations. And before the first 26 verses are over, in First Chronicles 1, 1 through 27, Abram, that is Abraham. So they end with Abraham, which is basically where Genesis chapter 11 ends. So if you want the genealogies right quick with no details and stuff, First Chronicles 1, 1 through 27, there you go. So they're counting him as pretty important because they're lead- he's leading all the way up to Abraham. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, from there they go, next verse, uh, the sons of Abraham, Esau and Ishmael, and he gives their genealogies. Then they're working their way by the end of chapter one. They go through a lot of chiefs of uh, the chiefs of Adam, which is the descendants of Esau. Let's see. They do tell you a little bit more by chapter, by, by verse thirty-four about Abraham's son Isaac, sons of Isaac, Esau and Israel. Yeah. So then, verse, starting at verse thirty-five, verse Chronicles one thirty-five, it starts Esau and gives you his lineage, and that's how chapter one ends out. So they do give it to you because he's a son of Abraham. I think probably the main reason, and so he is important. It also here's a little note I have underlined: sons of Dishan Uts. Uts uh, is I did a study on the uh, on Job's genealogies. Uts is he's from the land of Uts. So there is a guy somewhere named Uts who moved there first, and the land became known by his name. Right. So there's several Uts. So I cross referenced time-wise, uh, a bunch of the different genealogies that are there to try and place when Job was. Either way, when First Chronicles 1 is over, basically they cut right back to the genealogy of David. Why is David important? Descendants of David, Judah. Why is Judah important? We're trying to get to Messiah. So the Jewish writers of First Chronicles saw fit to put Enoch's name in the third verse of what they started. Hmm. They do consider it true. That's my point. Yeah. Uh, A priest
0: wrote Chronicles. Really? Ezra.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I think I have, I, have, I wouldn't remember that on my own, but yeah, I have read that. So, uh, then he's mentioned the new Testament. That's the last place in the old Testament. And then he's mentioned the new Testament, Luke three thirty seven. It's kind of the same thing. Luke, Luke, the Greek doctor, is giving us a nice uh, genealogy of mankind as a whole. Luke 3, let's see, we'll start about 30, the end of 33, the son of Judah. So here we are looking at Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Terah, Nahor, Serug, Reug, Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah. Canaan, Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, Lemek, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch.
0: He's going backwards. He's
1: going backwards, working towards Adam from Jesus. So uh, he considers that uh, if if you're saying that you're a New Testament Christian and you believe in Jesus, but you don't believe that these real names are true actual people and they're it's a real genealogy, um, where did where did Jesus come from? Where's his genetic line? Human wise, where did he come from? He was born into a group of you know people who existed as a family. <laughs> yeah. Then the one you mentioned in uh, Hebrews, where 12, it basically says, uh, "Go ahead."
0: Well, I mean, he's mentioned in Hebrews eleven. I don't remember what verse, but you know, Hebrews 11, twelve 5. one is talking about the cloud of witnesses and yeah, about all the people listed in Hebrews eleven.
1: Let's see. Starting at verse four, this is Hebrews eleven for by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died he still speaks, by faith Enoch has taken up was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now because he was taken he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it's impossible to please God. So the writer of Hebrews, whoever you want to argue about that, if you like to argue about that that thing, <laughs> the writer of Hebrews believes that Enoch was a real person. Uh, let's see. The last mention of Enoch is a rather interesting one because it shows us that Enoch preached. He had a message, and it seems he wrote things down. <laughs> uh, this is Jude 1, 14, and we'll start at, let's see. We need to start back a little bit because 14 starts with, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. So backing up, um, I mean, Jews not that long. I hate to read the whole thing, but (laughs) (laughs) he talks about uh, Michael, the archangel. When he's contending with the devil, disputing about the body of Moses, he didn't blaspheme uh, the devil. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme. So he's making a point that even Michael does not uh, blaspheme and speak against the devil. He doesn't think that's his place to do that. Uh, he he's probably like David respecting Saul because Saul was anointed. Michael is probably respecting the devil at this point because he is, or was, once somebody. He was really a high up archangel, cherub. You know, he was a big guy. So it looks like maybe Michael's just not crossing the line of disrespect (laughs) you're thinking something said (laughs)
0: well just when the michael says the lord rebuke you if the if an angel says that i'm not saying he has respect for satan but if michael if i think michael tends to realize his power that he can't overtake satan i mean satan's yeah i mean he's got he's next behind god as far as power goes um, I've always, you know, tell Satan, rebuke Satan, rebuke the devil. Tell them to get, Shall we say the Lord rebuke you? I mean, do we really have, I know we have authority, obviously, but also think there's this, I mean, Michael? Well,
1: there's, there's a huge difference in the Lord rebuke you and rebuke you. Well, what you just pointed out, there's a huge difference there. The authority we have is in the name right. of Jesus. But anyway, anyway uh, continue on that little part. That's fine. Uh, but these, uh, and, and Jude is speaking about people who are doing what Michael wouldn't do. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinct, instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. There's a whole bunch of history we had not touched yet. <laughs> these are blemishes on your love feast as they feast with uh, as they feast with you without fear looking after themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead uprooted wild waves of the sea casting up foam of casting up the foam of their own shame wandering stars for whom the glory of utter darkness has been reserved forever It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude likes the word ungodly. (laughs) Either way, Jude is is here quoting, uh, excuse me, well, yeah, Jude is quoting uh, Enoch's message and what he used to preach. It is referred to enough and understood. Well, let me say this. We're always told for interpretation we should be looking for what the original writer meant to the original hearers. Jude is preaching a message that Enoch preached. And who is he writing to? Or let's ask this. When's he writing? We think his letters about AD 65. He's writing to a bunch of brand new Messianic Jews. Who's this? The brand new church of the new Testament, the church of the new Testament commonly knew what Enoch was about. Right. So he makes reference to it without really, he doesn't, I mean, he goes on and he says ungodly five times. Was it? Or six times. Either way, he, he goes on for a second, but it's not the bulk of his me- his whole letter here. Uh, right. Enoch's message is not the bulk of Jude's letter. Right. So that means he's making a reference to it, uh, expecting his readers will understand what he's talking about.
0: Right. So we don't I don't remember seeing Enoch prophesying that in Genesis chapter 5.
1: Uh, exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you
0: know what? We are going to get into the book of Enoch next week as we deal with chapter 6. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, this is one of
1: those places, too, when I was a brand new Christian, I would read through this and say, where did he prophesy that? And i start flipping back and trying to find every place I could find where it says Enoch. <laughs> I'm like, he didn't say that. At first, it looks like a contradiction in the Bible yeah. until you do the background research and say there is something accredited to his name somewhere Yeah, that he wrote.
0: I mean, there's quotes in the Old Testament about what the books of war or- uh, I can't remember.
1: Uh, the books of the book of Yasher is yeah. not, is not there. The book of Enoch is, is not here for uh, well, it's here, but it's not included in scripture. Right. And the, uh, the chronicles refers to all the things that the, the Kings did. Excuse right. me. Is it the Kings refers to the things that are written in the chronicles and the chronicles are written after the Kings, So this must be other chronicles that are being referred to in Kings. I think that's I think that's the way it's put. Either way, anything else you got on Enoch? I uh,
0: don't think so. I did read a commentary which I thought was pretty stupid of the person to say it, but uh they're talking about how Enoch probably Enoch probably tasted death but he just wasn't his body wasn't found. And then like have you read Hebrews? I mean Hebrews pretty much says he hadn't tasted death, so it means he was taken up from God like Elijah. So, um, I, eh, we'll we'll discuss that later.
1: Again, it's a massive speculation that you're making something on the page that's not on the page.
0: Yeah.
1: And if I just simply say I believe that he was taken up by God, like like taken, that's it. It's that it's real simple. It it looks a whole lot like Elijah being taken up. Yeah, and and I have. I require less faith to believe what the words on the page say than you do to make something up that the words are not even there yeah. to try and explain it away.
0: Well, I know I've I've heard I've heard those thoughts because which we well, maybe we'll hit on this another time, but uh, you know the transfiguration uh, Moses and Elijah um uh, a a precursor um to revelation and then everyone's like well, if Moses and Elijah are the prophets, Enoch hasn't tasted death, but Enoch has to die. So then they're, so they think, well, maybe Enoch did die. We His body just wasn't found because surely what, because the only two people that haven't tasted death is Elijah and Enoch. So, but because of transfiguration yeah. with Moses, but I think, we'll, we'll,
1: I think we're making laws then. Disappointed unto a man who wants to die Yes, is the common practice. That is not a law that every man must die. I mean, we're talking about prescriptive versus descriptive, right?
0: Right. I mean, if you're Again, going to, if you're going to heaven, you pretty much died in a sense. I mean, God took you from this world into another realm, another dimension. Yeah. You you've died as far as this world is concerned.
1: I'm going to heaven, but I refer to my end moment as walking through death door. I call it death door.
0: Right. Nobody it's not technically ever dies. You just leave this tabernacle, this body and go to the next place and you face God. And he sentences you to one place or the other. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: But, um,
0: yeah, I, I did write down, um, while death has been harsh, um, with Enoch, death is seen as like a good thing, meaning, um, like we just talked about death, I'm just not being here on Earth anymore. It's it's the first time it's a good thing. You have Abel murdered, you have uh Lamech killing this other guy, and you have all this death surrounding people. Lamech
1: kills two, I think. I'm I'm really not sure of the wording on that, but. Mm. I only, only, only interrupt you to say that because no, it's it's uh, blowing up the issue again. No, it's making it worse again than just, <laughs> just yeah. oh he he killed somebody else. So, no, he killed
0: two guys. Yeah, well, I mean death is just everywhere and and you know they're experiencing it. They're you know they're not used to it like we are. We see it all the time. This is kind of a new thing going on. I mean, these people are living forever, so to speak, and they're yeah. finally dying off. And here, Enoch's just kind of taken away because he's so close with God, it's almost like, wow, there, there's hope and death. There is that hope that we talk about. Yeah. So that's the only thing left that I kind of have for this chapter.
1: I got kind of two more things. And one is the actual time. Uh I know we just discussed a while ago that there is uh, a bunch of commentators who say, or commenters, which one? is commentator. Right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bunch of people who are uh, talking about this chapter who don't believe the numbers are real. They say there are a bunch of gaps here and there. As I said a while ago, she uh, wouldn't believe that. You you got more faith than I do. You're making something up that's not on the page. And here's here's what I always I like ask my wife when she we she and I are talking about something, and I'll say, uh, you you don't know that, and if she persists. I'll say, no, listen. I'm not arguing against you. I'm just saying what you're saying. You don't have a fact in your hand. If I'm telling you something and I say, I know this for sure. I have a fact in my hand. It's different than if I say, I think this. Well, gaps on this page, you don't have a fact in hand. It doesn't exist on the page. So I take it as the facts are on the page because it states it.
0: Well, like you just read Chronicles and Luke yeah, verified that there's no gaps. What gaps? Right.
1: And the gaps are referring to time, which Chronicles and Luke don't list uh, the date times for these things. So I guess the argument could still stand because uh, Chronicles and Luke are not an argument against the date, the the timing of the years. But... They are referring to it and saying they think it, they they trust the scripture that this is the the of the names and these people were real. There, I mean, if you think about also a fact in hand, I don't have maybe I don't have the fact if it's not written on this page I wouldn't have the fact, but it is truthful. Every person you know is born, and there is a finite amount of time they live and then they die. <laughs> and if it's rounded off to a, a nice round seventy, if the guy died on his own birthday, seventy years old, that is technically possible and and you have a fact in hand you have his birth certificate and his death certificate and you say look at these they match great but if he dies at 73 in a couple of months we're going to say he died at 73 years old (laughs) and and that's going to be a fact so everybody does die they these people did live they by verification of chronicles and luke they had to die sometime and somehow or another, Moses and I'm going to say, you know, my opinion, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to know these these uh, these numbers. So uh, the way you're going to go about doing this is: Adam had Seth at 130 years old. This goes. This is going to give you from the sixth day when Adam was created to the birth of Seth. This is actually, as far as Bible time is concerned, this is 130 years, and I label this. Uh, basically uh, fa from adam or af adam forward these are adam forward years so this is year 130 from scratch to 130 seth had enosh at 105 years you're not going to add in seth's uh 912 years he died you're going to add in at 105 he had the next kid from there your your time line your genealogy skips to the next person and you just see how old he was when he had a kid so, uh, Adam had Seth at 130 years old. Seth had Enosh at 105 years old. Enosh had Kenan at 90 years old. So, just follow the math for a second, then we'll wrap it all up kind of quick. Uh, Adam has Seth at 130. That makes it year 130. Seth has Enosh at 105 years old. You add 105 to 130, it gives you 235. We're at the year 235 then. Enosh has Kenan at 90 years old. So you've got 235. You add 90, you get 325. Kenan was actually born the year 325 from the first page of the Bible. So as you go along, uh, Kenan had Mahalalel at 70 years old. It gives you year 395. Mahalalel had Jared at year 65. When he was 65, that gives you year 40, uh, 460. Yet it had Enoch at 162 years old. You add that, that gives you 622 year. Enoch had Methuselah at 65. You add that, it gives you 687 year. Methuselah had Lemek at 187 years old. Again, very specific, not random. 187 years old. You add that, you get year 874. Lemek had Noah at 182 years. You add that, you get year 1,056. Noah had Japheth, that is his uh, oldest firstborn, by the way. We'll discuss that when we get to it, even though Shem's listed first, but he had Japheth at 500 years old. You add that, you get 1,556. So at the the end of chapter 5, what you have is from page 1 of the Bible to the end of chapter 5, you have 1,556 years. If you skip over to chapter 7 verse 6 Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. And it it goes on to give you a uh, day and month. So you've got day and month of the actual year. It's it's too specific by the way again. Uh so Noah started having kids at 500 we ended chapter 5 at 1556. When he was 600, the floodwaters came. So from Adam's creation to the flood is 1,656 years. Hmm. It's Okay, so if we're going to say this has a bunch of gaps and stuff, if you do a little research in Jewish year right now, Jewish year is 5777. I just looked it up today, see what it is, 5777. Um, You can do this time dating all the way through from the first page. It's pretty difficult through uh, Joseph. You have to do a whole lot of flip forward, flip back, flip forward, and flip back again and put a bunch of things that line stuff up. But even though it's not told when jo- Joseph was born how old Jacob was, you can do the math and figure out how old Jacob was when he was born. You can do the math and figure out how old uh terah was when abraham was born abraham was not the firstborn and you can find it out by the math um shim being the the first one mentioned here is the blessed line was not the firstborn you can find it out by the math that's in these next following chapters you can follow this through all the way to the destruction of the temple let's see i'll just flip to the end of second king's from Adam to the death of Gedaliah, which is the last governor. He was not a king, but he was a, uh, a governor placed in, in power by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Three thousand six hundred and sixty-five years. So it's literally from the the creation of Adam to the destruction of the temple. Three hundred or three thousand six hundred and sixty-five years. From there, uh, you can skip over to secular dating. Nebuchadnezzar came and burned the temple down, was it 605 or 608 B.C.? I think it's 605.
0: I think you might be right. Uh,
1: Either way, call it 600 years, right? If Adam to the temple is 3665 years plus 600 years, that's Nebuchadnezzar burning it down at 600 B.C., up to zero, that'd be 42,65 years. We are now in 2017. If you add 2017, you get 6,282. Is that perfectly dead on exact? I don't know, but that really points to the Bible saying that the history that's recorded here from the creation of Adam is a 6,000 year history to today. The Jews, like I said a while ago, the Hebrew calendar presently this year. Is in the fifty seven hundred mark, not far off. Right, and that was not decided by uh, biblical pages. That was decided, and I I just read it while ago. Instead of looking back, it was basically just decided by a rabbi of such and such uh, century, and he goes through and says, "We're going to mark it here with this." Yeah, I'm not going to read back to this whole thing, but uh, a rabbi decided there was a starting point that he wanted to go by, and he came up with uh, what we would now look at and say, 5,700 years. But if you, I, I wish I could find, and I have found some almost pathways through the Babylonian exile, and I wanted to use only Bible scripture, and that's it. But you can use that to get from page one, creation of Adam, all the way to the destruction of the temple, with just the Bible, not looking outside the Bible at all, but taking the numbers it gives you and line it all up. And you get that close to what the rabbis have decided they're going to make the Hebrew calendar look like. <laughs> so at that point, that's why I had to cross over to secular uh, dating with Nebuchadnezzar coming in because uh, historians our Bible historians, Bible commentators, etc. will say uh, we study history and we say that Nebuchadnezzar came in 600 600- and five BC. So that's when I had to cross over to that. From that, we basically get to zero year, which is not, we, we all know as regular Christians, that it's not the real birth year of Jesus, but from there to now, 2017 more years. Right. That's what brings us up to this total of uh, a 6,000 year earth, Hmm. which is nuts of course, to the secular believer, (laughs) a stressed believer.
0: Right. We talked about that. Let that's that's started. the very first thing we talked about, yeah. Yeah.
1: So the, the thing is, though, if you have a a Christian or a preacher or a uh, seminary professor or a Bible commentator or whatever you want to call them, who says that these are not literal numbers and years because there's a bunch of skips and gaps, et cetera, because it had to be longer than that. They don't believe the Bible. They had probably been listening to Darwin and all of his little Children that have spread out through the, the colleges, et cetera, and they preach 13 million years.
0: Try to fit their theory in the Bible. Yeah, of slamming Bible together. Speak.
1: Yeah. The Bible and evolution. Yeah. So uh I, I guess to bring it home also, this was, this was what we uh, had told you that was going to be a whole lot of boring stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers and name yeah. meanings, et cetera. Let's let's look at something here though, because what we're fixing to lead up to in the next podcast will be uh, Genesis six, and I'll really kind of be finished with a couple of comments right here. In Genesis six, we see these uh, sons of God mating with the daughters of men, and the standard uh, seminary Bible college expression of what this means or explanation of what this means is this was a godly line of Seth versus the daughters of man, which came from the daughters of Cain. There's no explanation there why their children were giants. Anyway, (laughs) what we're looking at here is that uh, in chapter 6, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah and his family survived the flood. This line of Seth was a bunch of stinking sinners, period. They're dead. Flood comes, they're dead. They're not on the boat. They're not special. They're all sinners. Cain's line is a bunch of sinners. Right. God judged the whole earth. They were all sinners. Done. So th- I think it's another knelt in a coffin against this uh, uh, godly line of Seth explanation, really.
0: Yeah, the only one that seemed to walk with God was Enoch. <laughs> yeah.
1: And we just do that with Noah here coming up too. Noah yeah. walked with God. Yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> so just stating God's opinion of man. This is what we're leading up to. This godly line of Seth, a bunch of sinners. This is what God thinks of man. He wrote through Moses in Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Solomon wrote, 1 Kings eight forty six. There is no one who does not sin. David wrote, Psalm fourteen one, they are corrupt; they do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. There is none who does good, not even one. Paul quotes David in the New Testament, Romans three ten, none is righteous, no, not one. Verse twelve, no one does good, not even one. Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John reports that Jesus opinion was John 2:24 but Jesus on his part did not trust himself to them he's referring to people in the in the context because he knew all people Jesus knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man so John in stating that and him quoting Jesus Jesus quotes that that gives us uh Six biblical statements right there about God's opinion. He inspires scripture and tells David, Solomon, Moses, and John, and Paul, to write all this stuff down about there is not a single person who's good. Every (laughs) single person is a sinner. And so we end chapter 5, and we start chapter 6, waiting on a flood to judge the entire world.
0: Yeah. So, well, we will see you next week as we dive into chapter 6. Um, it's probably going to be a long podcast, so, um, we hope you're reading and studying along with us and we, we'd love to hear if you got any thoughts or opinions on the matter and, um, we'll see you next week.